Greetings, my nerds, and welcome to the Northwest Nerd Podcast, where we cover pop culture, science, and technology with a Pacific Northwest focus. My name is Nick Jarin. And I am so stoked that Star Trek Picard finally has a release date, January 23rd, 2020, Dyer Oxley. Save something for the show. On today's magazine episode, we'll start with Dyer's discovery of a particularly nerdy Northwest band and then get into some news, including WeWork's continued expansion in Seattle despite their rocky last few weeks, uh, some trouble for Facebook's cryptocurrency schemes, and an encouraging case of nerd saves nerdy institution down in Tacoma. We also react to the new Birds of Prey trailer and then finish things off with some recommendations for your viewing when you know you're not listening to this podcast. But first, we take you to a dive bar in North Seattle where Dyer heard something that he just needed to investigate further. For this feature story, I have to bring in a little bit of help to help tell the story. Say hi to everybody, Nina. Hi, everybody. Okay, so this is Nina. And the reason Nina is here is because Nina took me out to a surf music festival recently where one particular band made an impression on me. So my friend Tian told us about this event he was emceeing called Surf by Surf West. Yeah, he was emceeing it, which meant he got up in between all the bands uh, and introduced them. It was a day of surf bands. And I didn't know this, but apparently the... Pacific Northwest has a big following of surf music lovers. Yeah, it's kind of a a meeting of rockabilly and punk and surf and a lot of kind of genres. Right, and custom culture, which I love. There was this one band that kind of stood out to me, kind of started an obsession. They were called the Seatopians. Do you remember the Seatopians when we saw them? Yeah, I remember them playing, and in between their songs, they played some kind of... Audio clips. Yeah, Yeah, and like, it, yeah, it sounded like old movies. Like sci-fi, very retro. Yes. And I don't know what it was about them, but I couldn't really get over it. I just kept kind of dwelling on them, like, where were they from? Why did these lines sound so familiar to me? And then at one point, in between the songs, just the entire band stopped, and they all just yelled out... Was pretty cool. And it, it was that phrase, Manos, the hands of fate. And then all these other lines that they were playing, these little bumpers between the songs. Somewhere in the basement of my brain is like a dingy box of memories that I haven't pulled out in a while. I just I had this feeling that there was just something familiar stored way back in there, but I just, I really couldn't get at it. I left the stage area, I head back to the merch table where they have t-shirts and stickers for all the bands, and this band, the Seatopians, had a CD. They just made an album, and I start reading all the songs on the back of this cover. And there was that Manos and the Hands of Fate song, and then there were these other titles like Space Dragon, or Cat from Outer Space, or Krell Love Theme, and it just kind of made it worse. So at the end of the show, I ended up talking with the guitar player, John. I ended up asking him about all this, the songs and the movie clips. And as soon as he started telling me, it just hit me. And what was that? So in a way, this was in front of me the whole time. The band's name is the Seatopians. Okay, so I didn't remember all this off the top of my head at all. Eventually, Google helped me out with this. But the Seatopians 
are this race of people who live under the ocean in the movie Godzilla versus Megalon. Come on, boys up now to the Earth's surface. Destroy the Earth. Destroy our enemies. And it's one of the more weirder and fun Godzilla movies from the 70s. And that other song, the one where they yell out, Well, that is a reference to a movie of the same name. It's another quote-unquote bad movie from the 1960s, Krell Love Theme. The Krell was an alien race on an old sci-fi movie called Forbidden Planet. Morbius, operated by the electromagnetic impulses of individual Krell brains. But like you, the Krell forgot one deadly danger, their own subconscious hate and lust for destruction. And it was like this surf music was made up of all this pop culture, B-movies, sci-fi, all just being woven throughout their performance. And have you seen these movies? Sort of. There is one thing that kind of ties all of this together. In the not-too-distant future, next Sunday, AD. If there was any way that I ever saw these movies, it would have been back in the 90s. And I would have seen it on Mystery Science Theater 3000. You know what? I think I remember that show. Yeah, so just a real quick explainer. Mystery Science Theater 3000 was a show from the late 80s and 90s, though it did have a recent modern revival of sorts. The main plot is that in the future, some evil scientists are trying to drive a janitor on a spaceship crazy by forcing him to watch the worst movies in history. And this poor guy in space constructs some quirky robots to hang out with them while they watch these movies, which they proceed to mock and make fun of. And if you've ever seen it on TV, you just see this silhouette, like in a movie theater, of the guy and the robots making fun of these movies. Anywho... The point of all this is that you really liked this band. Yes. And I really liked this band. So I was curious about where all of this was coming from. How did this all just get mished, mashed together from this band? So I made some calls. What I found out, I think, is pretty cool. Zootopians hail from Boise, Idaho. They promote themselves as the best in the landlocked surf rock. Their story really starts with that guy John I met, John Zootopian, when he was a kid growing up in Florida. I come from a small town, and, and uh, my childhood was in the 80s, and I, man, I love Star Wars, you know, like most kids did, you know, back then. And, you know, some sometime in you know, high school, I got into some of the expanded universe stuff, you know, and I absolutely loved that. I, you know, I loved uh, the Alien franchise back then. You know, I had some of the, you know, the Dark Horse comics. I always loved the, the expanded part of it. You know, I was more into that stuff than, than like, you know, sports. But out of all of that, there was this one moment that sort of just changed his life from then on. That movie, Godzilla vs. Megalon, I mean, it's probably my absolute favorite, you know, Godzilla movie. It's it's a fun movie. It's silly. Doesn't take itself too serious. They actually did do it on Mystery Science Theater, but you know, back before there was Super Walmart's. You know, you just had like your little Walmart in your town. And I remember, you know, I was there with my my grandmother. It was you know, young. I mean, before I could drive or anything like that. Um, and uh, so there's a the little island display of VHS tapes, and they have a you know a little reel going, a little demo reel, 
of uh you know the middle of this movie and it's like you know there's godzilla and there's these other monsters you know you know this is great so you know convince grandma and probably a week later or something she you know bought the vhs tape for me and man i absolutely wore that thing out you know i've watched that movie i don't even know how many times so you heard him mention something about mystery science theater 3000 there in the 90s, if you had access to Comedy Central or sometimes the Sci-Fi Channel, that show was on a lot. You know, some of those movies, I mean, g- given they're they're not great movies, uh, which is kind of the point, but, uh, you know, you couldn't get those elsewhere. So that was your chance to, you know, even though they're, you know, they have the tracks over it and they're, you know, they're talking, you're still watching some of these, uh, some of these movies that uh, you weren't going to be able to find, uh, you know, either... B or avant-garde type of type of film. Obviously, on the side of all this, at some point, John picked up a guitar. When I, when I started playing guitar, uh, one of my father's friends who uh, who played, he, you know, he taught me. And the first song that I uh, uh, really learned was was uh, "Walk Don't Run," you know, by the by the Ventures. And they influenced a lot of surf bands. And and uh, a little bit later on, I heard a Man or Astro Man song. I, I think it was Cyborg Control. And it just blew me away. You know, this is surf music. It's kind of new and it has these sci-fi, you know, samples in it. It's like, it was the best thing ever. It blew my mind. So I went out and got, uh, I was Destroy All Astro Man and uh, just, man, just wore that album out. Man or Astro Man is a surf and punk band that works with a lot of sci-fi themes. And side note, has covered the theme song to Mystery Science Theater 3000. John started up a band of his own around college. Also, Around this time, my wife and I, uh, we started dating in college and our first, you know, date, you know, we went out to eat and we went back to the dorm room and we watched an episode of Mystery Science Theater, which is, you know, pretty funny. But, uh, you know, that was uh, definitely a, a, you know, a good sign for me that uh, uh, she called me back after <laughs> after that. So John joined the army after college, had a bit of a career there for a number of years Put down the guitar for a while, but eventually picked it up again. Can you guess where? Was it Boise, Idaho? Yes. So life eventually led him and his family to Boise. Just by happenstance, kind of, you know, got the bug again, essentially. And then uh, I I don't know what it was, but they uh, just totally full on got back into surf again. There was an ad placed on Craigslist and he played with a few folks as the Cetopians started to form officially in 2017, and making some sort of reference to his favorite movie, Godzilla vs. Megalon, seemed kind of like a good idea, which is where the Cetopians came from. So today, it's John Cetopian on guitar, Seth Cetopian on drums, and Marcus Cetopian on bass. Released their first album in 2019, and slowly, this live show ended up forming, which is what we saw with movie clips and all their songs named after pop culture references. So I'm not going to go through their entire album, Underwater Alley, but there are a few highlights just to make my point here, starting with Space Dragon. So Space Dragon, um, 
it comes from two different places. You know, one of them being Godzilla, which, uh, you know, Gigan is, is kind of a... I know the dragon aspect, it would, you know, Ghidorah would probably be a better uh, a, a better fit for that. But, uh, you know, Gigan is, is kind of a... You know, he's from outer space. And the other side of it is... is a, I believe it's in Aliens 3. There's a reference to... Uh, there's a guy calling the alien a dragon, you know, in, in that... Just one of those things like, oh, space dragon. Another standout is Toho Stump, which if you've watched most any Godzilla movie, you're probably familiar with Toho. Uh, yeah, I always wanted to have a, a kind of a, a stomp song, you know, again, that's a that's a surf, you know, thing from from way back. Toho is the, the production company that does all the, you know, the old Godzilla movies. Okay, so Nina. Yeah. That brings me back to that concert we saw. I was trying to put together that puzzle about what we were watching. Right. The Seatopians, in their in their own way, are the result of pop culture kind of being fed back in on itself into something that is both old and yet new, but is still something people can relate to. Let me put it this way. At one point, someone made a bad sci-fi movie, like in the 60s or the 70s, right? Right. And that movie ended up being recycled a generation or two later when it was parodied on Mystery Science Theater 3000. Then John consumed it as a teenager and that pop culture then evolved into a surf band that sends it back into the world and pushes it forward into yet another era. And I just kind of think that's pretty cool. Uh, you know, at least for me, yeah, it is a, an homage or a you know a tribute to uh, all those things that I enjoyed growing up, and you know, I still do enjoy when when I see them. Surf is a is a pretty big genre now. There's a really strong, passionate cult following, and then within that, though, I mean, you just have a, a plethora of different styles. I mean, you know, you have horror surf, you have you know traditional kind of you know sci-fi stuff, you know exotica. So, you know, within that, you know, and this is again musically, but I think it relates to the the passion for certain you know sci-fi fantasy type stuff. I'm not a writer, I'm not an illustrator or anything like that. So I think, you know, tying this in a little bit is just, uh, it's an homage to it, you know. Because we, we play, uh, especially here in Boise, I mean, there's a lot of shows that are all ages and we played a, a younger crowd, which is great because it's it's exposing them to, to surf music for one, which is huge. Um, you know, also uh, some of these references, you know, maybe one of them's like, man, you know, I've seen these guys a few times and they're always talking about, you know, Krell or Toho or, you know, any of these things. And, and maybe they go check that out. Maybe they go Google it. And, you know, maybe those roots, you know, or, or those seeds were planted at that point, you know. Dang, I almost don't even want to go to the news bumper because... I'm just digging listening to the Seatopians right now. But Do you recognize the song that we end out with there? No, I, I can tell that it's a cover of something, but I can't tell what it is. What is that? It's Kids by MGMT. Wow. Yeah. Dang, yeah, I would so, not have gotten that, but I like that a lot. A really, really good song. The uh, There's a lot more songs on that album um, and uh, that I certainly appreciate. End up buying the CD, uh, but then you also end up buying them digitally so you can listen <laughs> to them. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, point being, uh, the reason I kind of release this feature now is the Setopians are coming back to the western Washington area. Um, they play in Boise quite a bit. I have a feeling they might be playing a few other areas. But if you're in the Seattle area, uh, October 25th, Setopians with Value Ape and Insect Man at Ooh. Lucky Liquor in Tequila. And then October 26th, the next day, there's a pre-Halloween show with the Cosmic Rays at Black Lab Gallery, which is an Everett. Uh, so nice. Just throwing it out there, if you want to check them out, pretty good show. Uh, I have a feeling those are probably dive bars, so <laughs> which makes for a really great show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Small venue. Intimate. Yes. You know, that's what that's what dive bar show says to me. Surf by yeah. Surf West was at a place called Daryl's in North Seattle. Daryl's. I don't even know that place. Uh, it's a dive bar, and I mean that in an endearing way. Like, I know. It's a great Dive uh, bar here is, that's a good term yes. on this show. Yeah. Um, so inside, they had like a little stage area. And then outside, they made like another stage area. And so it was kind of like a band outside, a band inside, and they would trade off. Oh, and cool. then uh, on the edge of the uh, parking lot area, which they closed off for all this, was an awesome taco truck. So it was just like this, <laughs> it was just magic all around. But yeah, uh, check them out. I, I enjoyed them. Uh, and it certainly got me to watch a lot more Mystery Science 3000. You can stream them wherever? You can't. Okay, so here's my trick. Just trying I've, to help people out because I told you about. Now this. I want to listen to the Cetopians, and I want to know where. <laughs> the uh, well, the Cetopians you can just listen to on Spotify. Uh, okay, Mystery great. Science Theater three thousand. Um, though I told you about the app Pluto that I watch all the time mm-hmm. on yeah. my Roku. Pluto has a channel just for Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Wow! And you can just watch. It's just constantly on the channel. And then if you want, there are newer versions. A little bit of a new. Uh, news update here. Uh, Felicia Day, who we just uh, had an interview posted with, uh, she helped uh, kind of revamp and restart a Mystery Science Theater 3000. It's for Netflix. And uh, the most recent word is that uh, the Mystery Science Theater 3000 folks are doing a bit of a stage tour going on. But after that, Netflix has greenlit a possibly a second season of that. So there could be more Mystery Science Theater 3000 coming cool. from the Felicia Day and crew crowd. With that news... Let's get to some more news. All right, Dyer, where I want to start is it, it definitely has a local angle and it may or may not be a tech story as well, because I want to talk about WeWork and do if we people work? follow, <laughs> we do a lot of work. Okay. <laughs> Uh, if people have been following the story of this company at all, they recently pulled their IPO listing. They were going to go public at like a $47 billion valuation. But as part of that, people discovered that they're actually cash flow negative and they're just running up deficits of money and they need tons of capital in order to do their business, which is basically just running co-working spaces. So they I was going to ask you, yeah, for folks like me who are a little bit outside of this, we work is is a a co-working space did you say it's a network of co-working spaces okay yeah. so it's large, like folks i think are aware of that but this is almost like being like a big company co-working space how exactly does that even work for example i have a friend that started one of them on bainbridge island co-working space so okay. you're an independent contractor writer or something but you want that office space you go to a co-working space and they have like IT folks for you if you need them and like printers, coffee, and coffee, you know, you go in, but even though you're all working for somebody else, yeah. uh, you have that office environment. Uh, but 
the impression I get from you is that WeWork isn't one of these little standalone buildings on Bainbridge Island like my friend had. It's some sort of giant chain like a McDonald's of co-working <laughs> yeah, spaces or exactly. something like that? Yes, um, except it's not franchises. They're not franchisees. Okay. Uh, all of the leases are operated by the overall company, so all of that money is tied up to eventually one place, which is part of the problem. Um, the other thing that they have going for them is a really strong brand. Like WeWork has kind of become like the Kleenex of co-working spaces. People will just say, well, can't you just go to a WeWork or whatever when they oh, mean a okay. co-working space? All right, like they've they've done a great job of becoming the brand for co-working spaces, and Would part you of say that, that has been they this... are the band aid for independent contractors. <laughs> exactly, the Xerox, the band aid, the Kleenex. <laughs> yeah, they're that's basically what they are. Um, although, were you making another pun in that this is just covering up the wound that is their financials because uh, it's a band aid? I'm gonna I'm gonna say that yes now. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. The local news here is that they continue to open up spaces in Seattle. And while I was researching this, I actually looked at all of their listings that they have in the Seattle area. And I just want to read you their description of this city because it made me literally laugh out loud when I read it. Um, here's, here's the description of WeWork Seattle office spaces. A futuristic city powered by business and e-commerce, software engineering, biotechnology, and architecture... Seattle is a launch pad to success, and WeWork's office spaces are built with a future in mind. Now, given the recent news, <laughs> that entire sentence is hilarious. And I also read that to you with like blanking out the city name earlier, and yeah. you were like, well, not it can't Seattle. Be Seattle. <laughs> architecture? <laughs> because really? architecture is not powering this no. economy at all. Like, building, we're building tons of stuff, but the architecture yeah. is not what's doing it. If by architecture there's like a campy cult of people that like ugly, ugly buildings or people that like getting sunburnt Bezos while walking balls. through uh, South Lake Union because every glass building reflects any amount of sunlight on oh, you. Man. Yeah, I have to get sunscreen just to walk through that neighborhood. Now. I just knew that like anyone shouting out the architecture of the city was going to trigger you and I was absolutely correct. Okay. So what WeWork is doing is they're continuing to open up more spaces in the in Seattle and the Seattle area. This is kind of strange given like how terrible the press has been for this company lately. Uh, their valuation dropped by like a third. They had to pull their public listing, which meant that the company is in danger. And they're talking about laying off like a third or a quarter of their uh, workforce. Things are not good. But in order to spend their way out of that, they have to continue to open these offices yeah. uh, and office spaces, which also take a long time to ramp up to being uh, profitable, which is another reason why they pulled their IPO, because they were not very transparent <laughs> about how many of their office spaces are mature enough to make money and okay. how much money those mature spaces are even making. This is, I've been saying this for a long time, like privately, I don't think we've ever talked about WeWork on this show before, but yeah. WeWork is not a real business. It's a wrapper around commercial real estate. Like, they're built for month to month renting and the way that they're ever going to make like significant amount of stable money is if they can get like a, it's almost like sports arenas need to sell the corporate boxes in order to yeah. be profitable for a season, right? They need season ticket holders. Yes. Those cor that corporate box money. That's WeWork. But the core problem of that is like if you're a sports team, a company will keep on buying the season tickets because they're not going to go anywhere else. You're the only basketball team in town. A company that's immature enough to want immediate office space without sinking capital into making one will eventually, if they're successful and uh, been renting out WeWork space, be successful enough to then leave. So 
they're in an awkward place of they want to eventually operate. I think it was something like a third of the yeah. corporate uh, office space in America, which good luck because this thing clearly doesn't scale. Um, okay, you just opened up a big gap for me. I need <laughs> okay, to close yeah. this. Yeah, go for it. So a third of the office space in the United States, uh, companies buying into the office space. In my mind, I think co-working space. I think of somebody coming in and saying, oh, I'm an independent contractor. Mm-hmm. I'm a writer. I'm a coder. I am somebody working on my own. I need this office space for me. What you just described to me was not that one single person. You just described to me organizations uh, Amazon or Google or somebody coming in and just saying well we we need uh, we need to send a team somewhere send them to WeWork yeah as i've gotten closer and like more into the tech scene in Seattle it's amazing how many companies will just be like well just like send them to WeWork for 6 months or whatever until we can build out what we actually need them to work in and then we'll pull them from that space after that okay so here's the deal sorry if i sound ignorant saying no this, go for it I, th- I think that like just be the voice of the people right we, now we work this is just me and you talking here. You're not a co-working space. I'm sorry. No, they're not. You're a storage unit. Yeah. That's what you are. You're a storage unit for office space. You're not, like, that 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 makes no sense. A person who needs a office space to actually work, That the selling point for it is for me. Like I said, I had a friend who ran one of these, and uh, they're also cropping up all over the place in Portland. Um, there's there's a bunch in, in Seattle and the Seattle area that are right. great that are not WeWork spaces, like Office Nomads up in Capitol Hill. Right. I was there for a while. That, let me tell you, the rates are way better than we work. Like right. this isn't an ad, but but that's the thing is the rates are probably not brand. for a person. The rates are for a company, which to makes me think of you are not being a co-working space. You are a storage unit for a company's employees. Whereas my friend, like <laughs> their space on Bainbridge Islands, they they just have a bunch of people that don't want to work at home and be isolated. They need social interaction in the day, and that's the selling point. Uh, there's another place down in uh, Portland that is depressing to bring up, but it uh, basically replaced the Slabtown bar that was there, uh, one of the greatest ones. And now it's called the Slabtown Coworking Space. Uh, that's a real uh, slap to the face. Yeah, it's nothing. Uh, yeah, nothing makes you feel better than putting salt in the wound that way. Although but, one of the one of the big like selling points yeah. for for WeWork for a while was their bottomless uh, beer on tap at their coworking spaces. They've now limited to I think like four per day for people who work there, but. <laughs> Yeah, the fact that you're laughing is like part of the problem, right? They they have a pretty problematic culture, and there's this, been some complaints about like the frat boy culture of this place, and that's part of the reason why they've had to limit this the bottomless sound beer like, at okay, the office. This doesn't even sound like a storage unit. This sounds like a uh, trap you put out in the wild to trap animals that you're trying to like. But instead, it's like it's tech employees. You're like, we got beer, come inside here, and then once they get into WeWork, they got, hit you got with high beer rates or and, something and fruit water. And a fridge full of LaCroix. Come, oh, my come gosh. <laughs> I want to work for whatever company's going to oh, pay man. for that. Uh, yeah, they continue to open space in Seattle. And, like, it looks strange, but it makes sense because really their only move is to get these things um, that they've already signed up for. Like, they have a bunch of long-term leases, which they also bought at, like, the height of signing those leases, especially in cities like Seattle. They need to now make these things profitable. And like they're not going to do that by breaking leases and moving out of these spaces. So you're probably going to see quite a bit more expansion before this company tries to go public again. And it's happening right here. You might even be listening to this podcast while working at a WeWork. <laughs> In which if case, you are, please sorry. tell us. <laughs> yeah. We <laughs> look forward to what? Hate mail? Pro mail? I don't know. What's I mean, hate I, mail? I, I, mail? I have nothing against the people who work like yeah. in a WeWork. They're fine. They're just workers. I don't have any. I have no problem with people. My problem is with like 
This yeah. company that claims to be a tech company that's really a real estate company that is not at all profitable and had a ridiculous valuation and is now going to cause people to lose their jobs because of how poorly run it was. Yeah. That's I want to call it Uber with. Office, but it's not even Uber Office because it's, like you said, it's, it's targeting companies. It's, yeah. The individual level is just completely out of it. It's, it's transient. It's completely yeah. unreliable to, to build your business on that. All right, Speaking let's, let's... of unreliability. <laughs> Ooh, transition. Yeah, hit me with the unreliability. Uh, I just really just want to talk about Joker. I, I, okay. I had no, I had no transition there. Uh, Let's do it. But yeah, Joker, opening weekend. A lot of people scared. I went to the movie theater this weekend. There were police there. Yeah, um, there were. Yeah, but ninety-three million opening weekend. I believe the largest October opening. Yes, and the like one of the largest for an R-rated movie as well. Yeah, what was the previous the one largest. was... I was reading that on Box Office Mojo earlier, I think. Venom last year with 80. Oh, there you go. Yeah, uh, which another comic book type movie that I believe they were trying to make a standalone almost, but now I guess with the whole Spider-Man news might not be. Everything is eventually part of the universe. In exactly. Some uh, well, which also this Joker movie was supposed to be standalone, but I have in my mind if it's a success, uh, if it is as successful as folks are saying... They're going to find a way to weave it in. Yeah. Uh, dire prediction, this Joker inspires whatever Joker that uh, Robert Pattinson's going to have to eventually fight. Um, so, oh my that gosh. Out. All right, well, so full disclosure, neither of one of, neither of us have seen this movie. No. But no. I didn't see this movie because I'm, I was one of those people you just mentioned who was afraid to go see it. I was like, there's oh, no really? way you're going to find me in a theater this weekend going to see the Joker. Like- I did go see a movie this weekend. Yeah. Because by the time I bought the ticket, I was like, oh, right. I didn't want to go to the movies this weekend. Yeah. But here we are. Uh, and I did notice that there were Seattle PD right there in, yeah. the, in where they were checking the tickets. I'm sure that they were watching people come and go from this thing. And I went to the uh, the Regal in downtown Seattle that basically has like one point of entry. If you're right. going to see a movie there, you need to go up that escalator or elevator and like security or police in this case, can clearly see who is coming and going from the space. Right. That made me feel a little bit better. <laughs> However, like the fact that we have to, sp- I, like, I wonder what the offset of taxpayer money for increased security at theaters was yeah. this weekend for the $93 million box office gross that this took in just in the United States. And it was like over $230 million globally. Globally, yeah. It's a huge success. Well, it's a huge success for... <laughs> for or, the makers of the film, right? right? Which I, which brings me to kind of one of the points I wanted to make. I didn't I didn't know if you noticed what I was wearing today. This tin, tinfoil hat on my head. Oh, okay. Uh, but uh, which informs my next conspiracy theory. Yeah. When I hear things like this, uh, I by the way, I don't doubt that there were some threats or they were responding to something. However, if I was Warner Brothers and I'm hearing that all this press buzz about danger and oh, this movie's so. Uh, dangerous or frightening or it's inspiring bad stuff somebody at warner brothers according to my tinfoil hat probably was like press that's great we need yeah. some more headlines because it was like back in the day where they're like this movie's so scary people are fainting faint they are fainting in the theater right and don't go see the exorcist people are throwing up in the theater watching the exorcist you know and they're so terrified but then that just makes more people want to go and actually see the film i kind of Again, this might be the cynic in me, but I kind of wonder if someone at Warner Brothers was like, "Yeah, let 
All press is good press. All press is good press. Let's yeah. let's flood, you know, let's throw some cops around the theaters and uh, and let's work this because now more people are going to be like, I want to go see this movie that apparently is terrifying everybody. Yeah, and like how many of these showings are going to have, again, just taxpayer-funded security at it? This is a subsidized profit that the studio is making. This is not a success story to me. Like you should not be, how much of this money is going to go back into those communities? You know what I mean? This thing annoys me to no end. And the fact that the reviews have come out and most people are like, yeah, it's good. Yeah. I actually further most, enrages me that like there's so much ado about this movie in particular. I I the most of the reviews that I've heard is that there is a, there is an aspect of it being over the top, but at the same time, I'm hearing uh best movie of the year rankings uh, uh that mm. this is going to actually go into award season as being like the next taxi driver that people are going to be talking about like this is such a cerebral film in some way that nobody was expecting because it was a comic book movie. Um, we follow way different critics. Let's move on to an interview I had with a local celebrity of sorts. I don't want to say that with like a question mark in my hand, but I don't follow professional wrestling. Do you? I don't, know. Okay, well, Ethan HD is a Tacoma-based professional wrestler, and anyone who has paid attention to his social media knows that he's also a pretty huge geek. Uh, in this case, he's been going to a comic book shop for a few years, but recently found out that the shop was on the verge of closing. So I got him on the phone. I spoke with him briefly about how he and his wife have launched an effort in Tacoma to save Destiny City Comics, which he says is more than just a shop. It's a community. So Destiny City Comics is a comic book shop in Tacoma I've been frequenting for the last couple of years. Uh, one of the reasons it really appealed to me is that in addition to just carrying like Marvel, DC, uh, Vertigo image, like they also have a section for like LGBTQ writers or like local authors or authors that are like people of color. Stuff like that spoke to me. They're a big sponsor for Pride Walk in Tacoma every year as well. They were very um, open about the fact that it was a place that they were welcome and a place that supports them. And I definitely think, especially in today's social climate, we definitely need more of that. Um, and when I heard that it was closing, it I felt like this was a big a big opportunity to kind of step up for my community and keep that that pillar in place as like a as a safe place. And then just as a place for people to come and be nerdy and be geeky. Why is it that this comic book shop that a lot of people know and love so well in Tacoma, why is it on the verge of closing down right now? A lot of it is the the owner, Mike, has been doing it all on his own for the last five years. And to me, it comes off that he's very burned out. Yeah. Um, and that's a lot of time to just do it by yourself. I'm very lucky that my wife's going to help me out with this um, so I can continue to wrestle and do the things I've been doing. Because the solution but, that you guys are doing is you are actually going to buy this out. Yeah, we're going to purchase the shop, the inventory, the fixtures and everything. And we're just going to keep it going, business as usual. Because it's a company that's in the black. It's profitable. What has this store meant to you personally? I guess for me, there was definitely a sense of community I've never seen at other comic book shops that I frequented or that I visited. Also, the fact, too, that he was very supportive of, like, local artists and things like that. Because I'm a Tacoma boy, born and raised, and I, I love my city. And to see somebody who didn't just set up shop as a way to to make money or just they wanted to run a business, but they wanted to invest in Tacoma, I thought was great. So there is an Indiegogo crowdfunding page up. I linked to that on Northwest Nerd Alert, and I believe on our Facebook page as well. I'm going to share that again. Uh, I have a full interview with Ethan HD 
which I will probably also just put out on social media as well. Uh, but the goal is $12,000. As of this recording, they are just under 3000 and about a week left to go. So there are a lot of perks in this Indiegogo. Uh, Mystery boxes of comics. You can get yourself drawn into a comic book frame by MW Comics. I'm sorry, MWP Comics, which is also a local company. Um, I kind of felt a little bit about this particular story because there is uh, there's a lot of comic book shops that go through problems, and I think troubling times. There's a few that I know locally that have turned into nonprofits so they can get grant funding. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dreaming in Seattle, the U District, closed with like 30 days' notice recently. They are gone as of like the couple last couple weeks or so. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of indie bookshops just closing in general. Um, this shop reminds me of like my coffee shop that I go to, Wayward, um, and a few other places that are a little bit more than just a geeky place. They are a community. And for some people, they are a support system. And it kind of comes down to this classic, you know, support your local economy where it matters. Um, but yeah, so uh, if you are a listener, if you have five extra bucks, 10 extra bucks or whatever, go ahead, Indiegogo. Uh, and like I said, I will share the link. Again, yeah. I mean, all of the best comic book shops, hobby shops, whatever, are the best because of who is there when you go in. Like, it's 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 a cultural thing. It's a community thing. And I think that if we can, if we can do anything to support this one sticking around, and it seems like Ethan has the right idea yeah. for how to how to bring it into the future. I think that that's awesome. I think that that's. I'm rooting for it. I shouldn't say this because his his wrestling character is. Uh, is kind of like his his own. He's on his own side. He likened him to like Logan or Wolverine. You know, he's kind of like he's a little bad. He's a little good. Uh, man, talking that's like one of the nicest people I've ever talked to before. <laughs> like he was just he was just very genuine. He was very just kind of like local pride. And so uh, it was kind of a pleasure talking to him. Like I said, I'll I'll throw out the the full interview on social media at some point. Cool. All right. Well, um, let's zoom out a little bit and do one more national story before we get to our uh, our recommendations this week. I want to talk about Libra, Facebook's cryptocurrency that they want to create. And the latest news this week is that PayPal is the first of the 28 companies that were signed up to the uh, the quote unquote crypto mafia is what a lot of people are calling <laughs> it. It's a it was an organization put together. Uh, with Facebook leading the charge to get all of these um, stakeholders in, that would be the ones making the decisions around what happens with Libra, Facebook's cryptocurrency that they want to create. PayPal pulled out. And uh, also this week you had Apple CEO Tim Cook saying that he doesn't think that companies should be creating their own currencies. He was talking to some French publication that I would L- mispronounce. Echoes. Sure. Yeah, it might Les be Les Echoes. I don't know how, I mean, I know what it looks like, but I don't know how to pronounce it. And this is a spoken medium, so I'll just let you say it <laughs> twice. <laughs> well, we could go and find somebody, say it online somewhere, and then at this point, we'll just plug it in. Le Echoes, something like that. I'm just going to leave you saying it three okay, different ways right. in the show is what's going to happen. Uh, because I get final cut on these episodes. <laughs> Oh, man. So Cook was talking to this French newspaper. And Cook also basically called it uh, a power grab, that currencies shouldn't be run by private companies. Those should be up to nations. Now, I'll also say that Apple has worked very hard with, oh, I forget which bank group now, but they've been releasing like Goldman Sachs, thank you. Uh, The Apple Card and their Apple Wallet technology and things like that, which may or may not be left out in the cold by Libra if it ever becomes like a major currency 
that's actually used. So there is a bit of that. But I do think that he's right philosophically that companies should not have their own currencies. And I think that this this branches out even further into a conversation that we've had a couple times on the show just about how these tech companies have way too many interests and need to be broken up. That's what all of these tech companies have tried to do. You have Facebook that bought WhatsApp and Instagram. Google bought YouTube, among other things, like uh, AdSense. Uh, Google owns way too many things. And at some point, hopefully in the next presidency, we need to seriously look at what it would take to break up these companies and separate out these concerns because something like Amazon, for example, is one of the easiest to understand uh, just completely wrong business models that should not be allowed. They're both a marketplace and a vendor on their own marketplace. Yeah. So they're able to gather data on like Duracell selling batteries and then just say, well, we'll just buy a battery making plant and start selling Amazon Basics batteries for less than what you sell. And since the magic of our product is how well we can do all of the logistics around it and efficiently ship this thing out, we'll just sell it for cheaper and sell right out from under you. And Duracell can't do anything about that. And, and I picked like a big company, but they do this to people all the time. The, and it's one of the main things like driving a lot of uh, Amazon vendors out of business is Amazon itself. The thing that this reminds me of, and I'm going to come at this from a little bit different of an angle, is that, uh, well, one, the first impression I got was these are like bold fighting words from from Tim Cook. I mean, he's he's not really pulling any punches. Uh, he's, he says a private company shouldn't be looking to gain power this way, gain power. Mm-hmm. Like that's some pretty uh, like pretty bold uh, assertions they're going after Facebook. But uh, something I've brought up before with the tech industry is that the problem with the tech industry is that most people don't understand it. And it, everything about it is so new and everything about it is so uh, fast evolving that Everything else that we rely on, uh, kind of like a security measure, uh, has never caught up with it. Whether it's cryptocurrency, whether it's a regulation on a company, um, it reminds everybody always talks about uh, the Wild West of XYZ, you know, mm-hmm. something. Yeah. In this case, this reminds me of back in the day, uh, like Hudson Bay Trading Company, or uh, gosh, there was a guy up on the San Juan Islands who had his own, I think, stone masonry company off of the islands that uh, had his own company store the own currency that you would work for at the company mm-hmm. then you would get paid with that currency that you could use only at the company store um, and it basically just became like this insular thing um, and that if you got indebted then to the company that you were already working for you could already see where this is like snowballing no and going about right yeah. that was a very, I mean gosh we think of it in like a modern context and that is such a small comparison to what we deal with now when this is international um if you look at the small uh, consequences of that, if you look at a large company, that's much larger consequences of that. And I think, you know, if it's hard for you to wrap your brain around tech company stuff, yeah, think about that. Think about like the old, you know, Wild West mentality of just having a company, company store, getting indebted to the company and just getting stuck in a town. That could happen I mean, on a much larger we're, scale. We're in the midst of a new industrial revolution, right? Right, right. Like this, this is Google, uh, Facebook, Amazon, they're the they're the Carnegie, the Rockefeller, the Goldman. That yeah. they're those new names now. And it took and forever to catch to, up with them. Exactly, right? like they needed to be regulated too, and these companies also need yeah. to be regulated. And hopefully, in the near future, we have a government that will do that. And I'm not gonna go directly to say that uh, I, I endorse Elizabeth Warren because this isn't a political <laughs> podcast, but she is the the only 
leading presidential candidate that actually has a plan for breaking up these companies and regulating them and taxing them in such a way that reflects what their businesses actually do because Amazon does not pay federal taxes. It's baffling. I remember when I learned that, I was simultaneously shocked and then not surprised at all a split second later because that's what these businesses do. They try to avoid every single one of those things. And I'm sorry if I'm a little like amped up about <laughs> business and capitalism this week. When I did go to the movie theater this past weekend and not see Joker, I went and saw Hustlers and like I was basically rooting for all of the characters in that just scamming Wall Street dudes because I'm like, yeah, be just be a Robin Hood. These people should be scammed. None of them were punished like they should have been after the financial crisis that they caused in 2008. So anyway, all that to say, other things going on at the theaters. <laughs> breathe, Nick, breathe. <laughs> other things going on at the theaters. We have a brand new uh, Harley Quinn slash Birds of Prey movie coming up and uh, they just released their first full length trailer. And we like to talk about the trailers here because sometimes people can't make it to the movies. Should we play a clip real quick? The Joker and I broke up. I wanted a fresh start. But it turns out I wasn't the only Damon Gotham looking for emancipation. He's after all of us now. All I got to say is I am in. Give me this movie. <laughs> <laughs> like this looks like this looks like what I wish Suicide Squad was basically. Like it looks like it's having so much more fun with itself and within its own world than the last team up movie that Harley Quinn was in. It's kind of funny you say that cuz I I got a very similar impression from this than I did seeing Suicide Squad and that uh, you know it's Birds of Prey, it's not titled like Harley Quinn or anything. It's just Birds of Prey. Suicide Squad, but really these are just Harlequin movies. That is the standout. That yeah. is the leader. This is essentially uh, DC's attempt at uh, Deadpool success of sorts. I'm I'm assuming, mm. and so I'm happy it's going to be another like Harlequin movie. But I'm afraid that you know this is going to be another thing where they get like a you know star packed cast, but nobody else really is around or worthy of being around because it's just a Harlequin movie. They packed it like Will Smith into the last one among a few other people. <laughs> it's so weird that Did anybody remember that. that Will Smith was yeah. in that movie at this point? So but funny. yeah. Um no, but I'm I that said, I am like totally stoked. I mean, I'm probably going to be in there opening weekend and so forth barring any threats. Uh <laughs> anything like that. <laughs> yeah. I think this movie's going to be great. The trailer looks great. The costuming like the entire trailer, all I was thinking of, wow, just cosplayers are going to go wild with this thing. Because Suicide Squad wasn't even good, and we're still seeing Suicide Squad Harley Quinn right. costumes. Let me throw this out there. This is, this is when I'm going to go super sour. DC does not do good with ensembles, and I am afraid of nobody being developed outside of Harley Quinn, mm. any of these other characters that you just mentioned. Uh, and aside from that, the other thing that has just kind of got me confused, how many <laughs> universes are we making within DC? 
Like we talked about like MCU, right? Marvel Welcome Cinematic Welcome Universe. Welcome to comics. One universe. Well, that's, I mean. <laughs> it's you, the same thing. Like you cannot pick up a Batman comic from the last 15 years and know what universe you're right, going to be reading right. in until you do research on what you just picked up. But I think there's a difference between a comic book audience and just the movie going audience in general. Warner Brothers, if you want to like pinpoint and niche your audiences like you've done comic books, that's one thing, but you're not going to get blockbuster uh, you know, I think success in the long run with this, with the way like Marvel did. But okay, so now we have the the Batman, the Batfleck, or whatever that we're we're throwing away, and uh, who knows how that's going to influence the successful films that you had within that same universe of Wonder Woman and Aquaman. And now we have a Joker standalone that is down back in the '80s. Now we're going to have Pattinson come in, and that is going to be its own Batman thing. Does this relate at all to Harlequin, which you now have a success like? Uh, trying to weave all this together, I have no idea where they're even going with their business or their films or their storylines, <laughs> but I'd like to have some sort of cohesion here that I can look forward to film by film by film. I think that you're being the the nerd in the room, if I may. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're getting hung up on, on details and continuity when the yeah. studio has clearly shown they don't care. very little interest in continuity. Yeah, like but that just very, seems insulting to me. They're just like, we're going to make something, give us your money. They've correctly assessed the fact that these movies are so widely um, watched and beloved that they no longer have to cater to people who care if it makes sense. See, that's just the Michael Bay mentality, you know? And and I, I know that's a, that's a stupid thing to say because his movies make money. That's why they keep giving him work. Bad Boys for Life. They're making another. I'm gonna see that movie. I know, but well, that's <laughs> that goes back to my broken clock thing. You know, broken clocks right twice a day. Yeah, and every now and then these directors make good movies. But uh, yeah, well, I think that if you take your average Marvel movie watcher, how much of the lore and the continuity do you think they're tied into, or do you think that they just go because it's gonna be a good time? I think that DC is making the bet that people go to comic book movies yeah. because they know it's gonna be a good time. Yeah. But again, I am being the nerd in the room. I just I feel like at some point you put something out there and rely on an audience to support you in a way, but it almost like creates a relationship between uh, multiple people, the artist, the writers, the company, mm-hmm. the readers, the viewers. And at some point it just seems like you're going to insult somebody in a bad way and just not really including People in that co- I I just I I desire personally a cohesion within all of this instead of just saying like you can have a little bit of peace here and a little bit of peace there because at some point it just it looks like you're putting together a puzzle but none of the pieces pit, fit together and it's all from different puzzles you know if we look at the MCU as mm-hmm. like the model for what works about comic book movies yeah. because they've clearly done much better at doing that than anybody ever dreamed they'd ever do. Yeah. All of my favorite ones kind of stand alone from the other ones, yeah. and I don't have to watch anything before watching Guardians of the Galaxy 1, um, even before watching Thor Ragnarok. If you haven't seen the other Thor movies or even oh, an yeah. Avengers movie, you can enjoy You're that fine movie. fine with Thor Ragnarok. Um, and you look at the, the X-Men movies, like Logan is one of the best ones, and you don't have to watch right. any X-Men movies before watching that. I think that... And I re- I recognize that like I'm probably in the minority in in supporting this take, but I think that DC has correctly assessed that these things don't have to make sense, and they're just going to put out movies because Joker just had 
a $93 million opening weekend and made like a quarter billion dollars worldwide. And it's not connected to any continuity at all. And it's like the seventh Joker that we've had at the theaters. (laughs) Like it doesn't matter. People just want to see something with a a built-in universe and it doesn't necessarily have to tie into the thing beforehand. This is actually one of the core reasons why I refuse to watch Ant-Man 2. Like, I don't want to have to watch it to watch the yeah. other thing, which is why I refuse to watch it. It feels like homework. That's, and DC's that's like, low people stakes, like though, because uh, I got to say Ant-Man 2. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't. But I also haven't seen Infinity War because that also feels oh, like yeah. homework. Like, I don't want to do homework. I want to go to the movies and watch a movie. A film yeah. should be self-contained. And there's there's some power to what DC is doing yeah. right now. It's it. I think it's incredibly smart. Something that I was actually really pleased with on rewatch is Aquaman. Like... That movie makes no sense and it doesn't matter at all. Yeah. There's I so think, many parts of it that you're like, wait, where are we? Why is this happening? Where did that but it flu looks, come from? It, yeah, where did that <laughs> flu come from? But it looks dope. Um, you barely have to follow it to get like the basic beats of everything that goes on. And then it, there's a battle at the end and you're like, well, this looks cool. And that's it. That's the end of the movie. Jason Momoa is charming, and that's really all you need for like two hours of your I entertainment. I think it really does it does come down to like audience. I think I think we're coming it from it coming at it from two different audience perspectives of, and I don't think either one's wrong. Some folks will just want to go and uh, smash them up, as you say. Like, they just want to go and <laughs> yeah. and see those types of films. Uh, and then other folks, I think, are probably looking at some sort of broader, you know, uh, view of it. Obviously, DC is is charting their own course and that we don't care what Marvel has done. Uh, I feel like, well, they though, don't care anymore. Yeah, and I, I guess I... they from, did try it. From my perspective, I look at it from... DC and and uh, and Warner Brothers for years, kind of just screwing up Superman film after Superman film, and then bat like getting like some good Batman films that were doing really well, and then just and then throwing those, those in the up, trash, yeah. you know. And then finally, the one Batman film they didn't pay attention to, they realized, oh, if apparently if we don't touch it, then it's it's good. And then now we're gonna touch it, and so you know, and just kind of run those things down. It's just. I feel like DC has, uh, and or at least Warner Brothers in this case, uh, just try to do something different and give us something good for once because the, the characters are more than just a, a DC, uh, a Warner Brothers thing. They're a phenomena. You know? They are something that is part of our pop culture and it's embedded in all of us. And it almost seems like when you deal with something that heavy, if you drop it, people are going to get hurt. You know? But anyway. Ooh. Dang, I like that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) People are going to get hurt. All right. Well, one thing that won't hurt, and uh, we'll do this week's recommendations fairly quickly. Um, Let me pick off the menu I got here. Oh, I got a fun one for you, Dyer. You ready for this? I'm ready. The Shannara Chronicles. Okay. (laughs) So this show actually (laughs) aired a couple years back, and it aired originally on MTV for one season, and then Spike for the second season. Spike as a channel doesn't exist anymore, which probably yeah. tells you how well this experiment went. And so I watched this on Netflix. It's streaming on Netflix right now. And my recommendation is watch season one. Do not watch season two. <laughs> okay. And that's it. Just like it's a thing that happened and it was fun and it was good. The Shannara Chronicles to me <laughs> is like, it's basically what all of these these uh, the streaming wars are trying to do in a post Game of Thrones world, where everybody wants uh, a bingeable fantasy story, yeah, uh, with world building and sets and like a built in fan base for the IP somehow. Because Terry Brooks's Shannara books are, I yeah. mean, they were bestsellers. The sort of Shannara 
ignited like a whole wave of fantasy books after that that tried to get in on the cash cow that it became because it became the number one New York Times bestseller for the first time in that genre since basically Lord of the Rings. Like this, it was unheard of what Terry Brooks did with those books. I know there's like 30 of them and he's just rolling in money. Now you say this as if like, are you reading these books now at this point? So <laughs> I watched both seasons of the show. And now I'm reading the books. Okay, all righty. Now I I'm getting into the books because as I was watching the show, I read some of the Shannara books as a kid, but I didn't remember them very well. So mm-hmm. when I was watching the show, some of the things sounded familiar, but didn't sound right. And the show mashes up storylines from the book. So if you are familiar with them, you'll see beats from stories that don't happen to the characters in the show, but they kind of graft them onto them. Um, and in that way, I think that it's actually better adapted for TV than something like Game of Thrones was, where the first couple seasons of that show are actually really really slow on rewatch it's kind of a tough hang for the first couple seasons i saw a few episodes mm-hmm. of this show and i i basically came away going that was on mtv that that yeah. was that was kind of like it's kind of the problem it's like uh th- there was an episode of sg1 where uh it was kind of a, j- a joke a parody of itself where a tv producer is trying to say like if we did an sg1 show what are all the different ways we can do it? And it kind of went through like every different channel's way of doing it, um, including like the this kind of like the super dark and reality based ones like HBO. But then they also did one that was like the MTV, where it was all a bunch of like you know late teens, barely twenties type characters that are obviously traveling throughout space. But even though they're traveling through space and they're under threat from like the gold, uh, they have to pause and just be like, "What's wrong?" It's like, "I don't know. I'm in love with Teal, but." I don't think he feels the same way, you know, and and it was all like these, you know, we kind of like models slash actors yeah. who were in the roles. And that's what I felt like Shin, uh, Shinar Chronicles was. And that's it's a very fair criticism. I because will it's give it very, another try. It's very accurate. Like, yeah, uh, one of the one of the main characters is a druid who is 300 years old. Yeah. He's like a, a hot 40 year old man with a dope yes. haircut. Like it's MTV. And I know everyone, I said this. everyone in the show is hot. Like it's. It's MTV. I'm sorry. I know I told I told this to you once before. I'll say it again. Uh, a forty year old to MTV's key demographic is elderly. So, <laughs> uh, I I will throw out a a recommendation uh, out there. Uh, it's I'm coming a little bit late to this. Perhaps not as late as Shannara Chronicles, but I'm years late on that. Okay, one, yeah. yeah. Uh, just a few weeks late on this one. Ad Astra came out into theaters. Uh, for those of us who appreciate a sci fi film, a future of human space travel uh, that's kind of based in reality. I'm talking about 2001 Space Oddity. I'm talking about Interstellar. All space that. Odyssey. Oh, did I say Oddity? Yeah, you're too much of a Bowie fan. Oh my gosh, yeah. All righty. <laughs> 2001 Space Odyssey. Uh, though, putting Bowie as a soundtrack on that film would be amazing. Um, I mean, someone's yeah. had to have done that by now. But anyway, continue. Uh, Interstellar is the other film that I, I like to cite with this with um, Ad Astra. I feel like it's done it. Um, but kind of did it right in a way. There's a lot of stuff going on in this film that I feel uh, kind of hits some nails on the head and totally comes at stuff from a different perspective. I don't want to give anything away, but it is another one of those things where you watch it and you're like, oh, they're showing you this, but they're really saying this, and they're showing you this, but they're really saying this, and it's all a big sci-fi metaphor. Uh, it's a rich text is what yes, you're saying. It's, it's, very, it's very fun. I feel like it does it really, really well. Um, that said... I went to see it with two other people and one of them fell asleep. I was on the edge ah. of my seat. 
I thought it was great. <laughs> um, but yeah, Ad Astra, uh, give that a try if you haven't already. That is all for today's episode. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the show on your podcast app of choice. Go follow us on social media. Just search for NW Nerd on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Tell your friends about us. Uh, thank you to the Hoot Hoots for our theme music. And coming up next week is a spotlight episode where we will play you a science panel that Dyer moderated at Renton City Comic Con a few weeks ago. It was excellent and had me all fired up about humanity going back to the moon and Mars and beyond. And I want to be a scientist when I grow up now. You're going to love it too. That's coming up next week. So we will see you then, you nerds. Breathe, Nick. Breathe.